0: Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Today is uh, an important day. It begins what we would call the day one or day zero of Holy Week as we lead into Easter. Um, so go ahead and grab your Bible, we're going to open up to, I could, you Could pick any of the four Gospels, it's in all four, but we're going to pick uh, Mark today, we're going to start off in Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 11, hallelujah, God is good, hmm, in, in my line of work, uh, there are are two types of, every preacher is a little different, and, and one thing that's my little issue, if you will, is that uh, there's two types of messages I just don't like to preach. Um, if I can be honest with you, like, there's, there's that one that I know God is bringing correction. He's bringing uh, what some might call a heavier word, a word that is just, mm-hmm. and, and honestly, I, I get no enjoyment of doing it at all. Um, I, I don't know many preachers that really do, um, mainly because I, I know that uh, you guys a lot of times have rough weeks. Uh, rough days, Um, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's uh, work, whatever it is, and you come here, and then all of a sudden I'm saying something like, really, dude? Come on, cut me some slack. Uh, The the second type that I don't like to do is anything involving specific church days. Church days, church calendar days, I don't like Christmas sermons, uh, Thanksgiving things, uh, Easter, uh, Passover, and the reason why is not because I hate Easter or Passover or or I hate I hate, I hate, I hate Palm Sunday or anything of the sort. But we pull from familiar passages. Can, by the show of hands, has anybody been involved in church? Not just in this church, but been in church twenty years or longer? Okay. So, uh, wow. Um, The vast majority. So, one thing that's crazy for me is that in 20 years, most likely, you've heard an Easter sermon 20 times. You've heard a Palm Sunday sermon 20 times. Can I tell you, there's only one Palm Sunday. And what happens as pastors is that we get kind of caught up in this a little bit, just being honest. And And we can do one of two things, either we can take this presumptuous approach that they already know, we're just going to blow through it, and yada, 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 and we're going to do our three points in a poem, and we're going to get out of here early for lunch. And some of y'all may say amen. Um, The other side is that, uh, I'll use the word creative. We have pastors that get really, really creative with this moment, and they they, they add things in that aren't really there because the mission now is to what's the one thing that I can give them that they've never heard before and a new outlook in a very familiar passage and honestly that comes from one of two things it comes from pride so you can be like I've never heard such a thing before or it also comes from insecurities because I want you to like what I say so uh, that's it's, it's an issue that the, the, the thing that bothers me the most is that we come up with these things with palms like a Palm Sunday and and we're gonna find, um, the story of the palm tree that they pulled off the branches for him. And, and I want you to know that that the palm was willing to give everything it had for Jesus, so you should give everything you are for Jesus. And as he knew as he was growing up that one day he would serve, a, you know, that kind of stuff. Or, or can you put yourself in the place of the donkey and you're a burden for this one man knowing you're now carrying the burden of the entire world on top of you and you're trying to we're trying to create this moment. And to be honest, I'm not doing that today. It would be fun. Like, I just got two cool messages just now. (laughs) That would be fantastic. Uh, But not today. Those aren't for today. Uh, No, we're going to dive into Mark chapter 11 because um, it's an important passage. In anything in real estate, we know there's three keys of real estate, and that's location, location, and location. Um, In Scripture, can I tell you this? It's different when you decide to paratroop into a specific passage. uh, The most important rules are... Uh, context, context, context. And so, like, if today you don't go to church at all and today's your first time and we dive into it and this is your first time you've ever heard about Jesus and you see what we're about to see, you might go, you might get two totally different viewpoints of who he is. So, we're going to try to get some context to what's taking place. We're going to try to give some understanding in a brief moment and then we're going to get out early today. Amen. There we go. I already just bought you all 15 more minutes. He's a teacher, so I get to do that. You talk in class, you get more time. All right, um, the entire class will punish Ira. Um, All right, chapter 11, verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany. uh, Bethpage is the outside of a famous area. We know Bethany um, at the Mount of Olives. He sent two of of his disciples and said, go into the village opposite of you, And as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt or a donkey on which you, which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says, why are you doing this, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it there. So they went their way, found the colt uh, or donkey, depending on your version, tied by the out door outside the street and they loosed it. But some of those who stood near said, what are you doing with loosing that colt? And they spoke to him just as Jesus commanded and, they, and so they said, let him go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on it, and he sat, and many spread their clothes on the road. Can we pause for a second? I, 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 there's not a whole lot of context here when it comes to how this thing. Maybe it was just a divine um, download, if you will, from God that there was a colt ready for Jesus. And, and maybe when Jesus showed up that there was a guy that goes, hey, I've got a donkey if you ever need one. Either way, it doesn't take from the story. I I don't really know whether it was a planned thing that Jesus goes, hey, this guy said we could borrow it. We're going to borrow it. It's going to be great. We're going to use it, and it's going to fulfill Zechariah's prophecy. Or this was something that Jesus was in prayer, and God goes, I've prepared a man. Either way, I think it's a beautiful thing. No matter how you take this thing, can I tell you, whether or not God gives you the full download of what's about to take place in your life or... You have a conversation with somebody and a door opens. Either way, your steps are ordained by God. See, a lot of times we think that we have these moments where we go to a Starbucks or we go to a work, whatever it is, and and we go and talk to somebody, and they have this brilliant idea, and, oh, that's a great idea, and we should talk side by side. And and then you begin to have a relationship and a connection with them, and they start a business. And and we kind of take that as a very, very natural or organic thing. But can I tell you, those steps are just as supernatural as you praying over a job, and all of a sudden God says, you should show up at this address at this time wearing this outfit. And they're going to give you a job. can say being in God's right place at the right time is just as supernatural when it looks normal as it does when it looks abnormal. The context here is, is, is important because we've got to back up to chapter 10 to kind of walk through what's going on. In verse 46 of chapter 10, the disciples, uh, let's go back even further. Chapter, verse 32, um, Jesus is getting ready to say some great news. And that great news is that, hey, I'm going to die. It's great news for you and I, and actually, it was great news for the disciples, just the disciples didn't know it yet. It says So now they were going on the road, going to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. When he took the twelve aside again, he began to tell them things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. Can I tell you, that wasn't what they were hoping for. The news that Jesus gave them was great news for the long run but the news he gave them in that moment was troubling to their now moments and that's a lot of times what happens is that God will allow us and he will lead us into future moments but right now it seems troubling because not everything that God does is for today because God's in your life for the long run not the short term. You ever had that relationship or that friendship that they, boom, they showed up on the scene and they were your bestie for like three or six months and then where'd they go? I don't know. Like they just rolled in and then rolled out. Can I tell you, God's not doing that. He's investing into every day because he knows tomorrow is more important than this current moment. And sometimes with that, with that it's called, is called being a parent. As a parent, we tell our kids what to eat, Not because they're starving today, but we know that if all we give them is chicken nuggets from McDonald's, in six months from now, they're probably going to have health issues. We are feeding them today, knowing what tomorrow could take place. And Jesus is looking at the disciples in this moment going, I understand you're afraid about what I'm telling you today, but one day you will understand. One day you will look at it. Parents have done this. My parents have done this to me before. One day you'll appreciate me for this. I'm like, (laughs) No, I won't. <laughs> because what you've got to realize is at this current moment in Jesus' life and his ministry is the apex. He's popular. Like, he's killing it. This is the time you write the book. This is the time you get on Oprah. This is the time uh, Steve Harvey calls you and you do a broadcast. Like this is, this is those moments that you use your current momentum as leverage to go completely universal and to get known. And Jesus is saying, in my greatest and most popular moment, I want you guys to know, I'm going to die now. And that was troubling to them. But it's weird to me because Jesus looks at them and says, hey, I'm going to die. And as soon as he gets done saying this, then this takes place. The sons of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. he says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says to him, grant that we may sit on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. Jesus says to them, you do not know what you ask. And are you able to drink of the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptiz- baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said to him, we're able. You think you can handle it? Sure. Jesus says to them, you will indeed drink of the cup that I drink and with the baptiz- baptism that I'm baptized with, but... It, but to sit on my right hand and on to my left is not for me to give, but it's for those whom it is prepared for. When the ten heard it, they began to get greatly displeased with James and John. Why? They didn't think of it first. Jesus just said, hey, I'm going to die. This is the moment you look and go, Pff. all right, this is the last Christmas on Santa's lap. Let's see what we can get before he goes away. The, the context for this whole passage of, of James and John trying to be there is a context of desperation. Jesus is about to leave. We, we don't know. We're almost to Jerusalem. Are they going to grab him at the door? Are they going to capture him as soon as we get in? This may be our last conversation. So, hey, Jesus, we've been with you for a while. Can you help us out? I got, I got one thing I need. One thing. Just want one thing. I can't tell you how many times I've used this with Jesus. Jesus, I've tried you for so long, if you could just do this one thing for me, even though it's probably the hundredth time this year I said one thing. But this is what's taking place in this moment, is that the James and John are looking at Jesus going, he's about to leave. Short-sightedness about what's about to take place will have us speak stupid things. In the book of Proverbs it says, even a fool is wise when he keeps his mouth shut. And what's taking place here is if they could see the whole picture of what's about to go on, they wouldn't ask a stupid question like this now. If they could see what's about to take place, they wouldn't look and go, we're in a desperate moment. Honestly, if the disciples could see what's about to take place, they would have probably been like, can we hurry up a little bit more? Can we move a little faster, guys? Let's get this crowd going. Why? Because for the first time since Adam, we were about to have a one-on-one relationship with God Almighty. And in just a few short days, we were about to go from having a high priest that would speak for us to being a high priest in relationship. Because the Bible says that we are both kings, a nation of kings and priests. It's this whole idea where you have been chosen for this moment, that you have been set apart for this time. And the disciples are holding on to this idea of yesterday. It's all they've ever known. They don't have a context of what it would look like to live free. The disciples have no idea what what, what it will absolutely look like in about 45 days from now when everything is changed and they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they're walking with power. They have no idea. And this is an issue that we, we perpetually deal with. Every single person in this room deals with, and that is this, is that we are always judging what God is doing today based on our experiences from yesterday. And we're holding back in fear that we won't have a new thing. Or that the new thing won't be as good as the old thing. This is a, an issue that they dealt with then. This is an issue that we deal with now. In this Palm Sunday, instead of pushing on and, and ushering in, they're holding back going, please don't do this. Please don't do this. Please don't. The amount of times I knew I was about to get a spanking. Mom, mom let, me, let, me, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Let me, t- let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Mom, mom, mom. Wait wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. Y'all know what I'm talking about. She grabs it and you're doing like, nope, nope. No, 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 yeah, no. That's why they stop using spoons and start using some belts because you got more, you you could reach around corners. Life lesson, a little parent hack, put that on TikTok. Get canceled. But yeah, it's one of those things in our lives where when God is pushing us into a new season, you cannot hold on to the old ideas and the new revelation at the exact same, same time. But I've got good news. He's putting building blocks for you. You don't let go of the old ideas he's placed inside of you. You actually understand why he put them there to start with. So uh, in a few short months, I, I, I'm going to be going on a cruise with my wife, and we're going to be having you know, our, our honeymoon and all that fun stuff. And, you know, they have a big boat that we're going to be on. And then they have little side boats in case the big boat sinks. Okay? Now, I would be happy to own one of those little boats. Go fishing, go over to Jackson Lake, you know, do all that fun stuff. would be great. And what happens is a lot of times is that we see these little boats and go, that's the one. That's great. And we climb in. And when you go on a a cruise, they put you in, you know, you had to put on your uh, life jacket and everything else. Why? Because in the event that you need it, you need to know how to use it. Okay? They're telling me this is not going to happen, but just in case, this is what you need to do. The problem is this for me, is that God sets us up with the same idea. This season of your life is not your end game. It's to set you up for a future event but we're holding on to it as if the boat is sinking as we're missing the entire cruise. We're so dead set on staying in exactly what we've understood and we don't want to move, I can't leave this spot, that we'll go an entire week, if you will, stay in my metaphor, an entire week of missing every single port and every single moment just in case because I'm comfortable here. If you've ever been on a cruise, there's multiple decks with multiple restaurants with all the fun things to do and you've got... Beaches and everything else to go to and snorkeling and everything else that you could possibly want to do. And we're missing the unlimitedness of his presence because we're stuck in yesterday's mindsets. And we ask things like, "Uh, God, can you just do something great for me right now? Like, when you die, let me sit next to you. I've always wondered about that. I mean, I get that in in the heavenlies, that's a a position of authority and power, and you're sitting next to him, but I'm really surprised they didn't ask for something now. Like Elisha and Elijah, can you double portion me or something? But no, they, they, they they were giving it up. As they're walking, they came up to Jericho and... As Jesus went out of Jericho with his disciples, with a great multitude, a blind man named Bartimaeus sat by the road begging. And when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was coming, he began to cry and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. It's always weird to me. Have you ever been around a lot of people? Like a lot of people? Like let's just say an Alabama or an Auburn football game, a lot of people. When has it been quiet? Ever? Well, how about Walmart? When has it ever been quiet? It's not. Go to a restaurant in about an hour. You're gonna, you're, you're. you're there's gonna be people, and we're talking about multitudes of people traveling, and he, they're looking at one person saying, "Be quiet." as if they're walking with tape over their mouths being quiet the entire time. I guarantee you there was noise with multitudes. So why? The why is because this one man was saying something else that was making them uncomfortable. And here's the kicker for us walking into Palm Sunday is this. Blind Bartimaeus was desperate for something. So he doesn't care. Because desperate people will do desperate things. When you're around a bunch of people and they're telling you to be quiet or else, you get quiet. But when you're so desperate because this could be my only chance to connect with him, you will scream out above the crowds. You will do whatever it takes. You will worship louder, you will clap harder, you will dance more, you will read more, you'll fat, you'll do whatever in your mind it takes to get because you're desperate. I had this conversation with Iron Connie a couple of days ago, and I said, "The problem with the church now not new life, but the Church Universal, is that we're not hungry anymore. I I remember that time when you just couldn't. you were like a drug fiend for Jesus. Where you, man, church starts at ten. I'm getting there at eight thirty, just in case somebody opens the door and I can get in his presence early and pray. Y'all laugh, but that was what people used to do. Like back in the day, we had church service, right? Then we had before church service, we had Sunday school. Before Sunday school, we had early church prayer. You know what's crazy is like I remember uh, I play on the worship team here, but I remember in, in South Florida watching people who were who just needed Jesus. They would show up to our eight AM rehearsals to be praying in the back just because they wanted to be in His presence. And I'm watching what desperate people do. Bartimaeus is desperate, and we don't we don't see that anymore. I mean, I've worked with the police department for a a, a while, and one thing that's crazy is this, is that you see people who, when they are using, or they're desperate for their fix, they will do things that they wouldn't normally do if they didn't need their fix. We see people who love their kids abandon their kids. We see people who are respectable people all of a sudden will break into somebody's house. We'll see people assault other people just to get something, and they've never had an issue before the drugs. And you're, you're watching this take place because something is more powerful on the inside, driving their actions, and I'm just not seeing that in today's church anymore. Here's what's crazy, is that when you get comfortable and you're no longer hungry for the things of God, you become picky about what you eat now. That's the first sign that I see a, of a level of comfort is when instead of just eating, you go, I don't like it. I, I'll wait till something better comes along. There's one of my favorite restaurants in Birmingham is called Texas Day Brazil. Don't you ever been? It's fantastic. It's a steakhouse. You have a card, one side's green and one side's red. If it's green, green means go. These guys uh, will bring on like a sword and it's steak and they set it on your table and they just start cutting. And they have like lamb, they've got chicken, they've got fillets, they've got ribeyes, they've got all ribs, all kinds of meat. It's just incredible. You know what's crazy? The longer I sit there and eat, the more particular I get about which steak I want to eat. They, let me tell you, I sit down, green means go, there'll be a line of these guys. What is it? I don't care. Just put it on my plate. Just put it on my plate. I don't care. Whatever it is. Chicken? Oh, yep, I'm eating it. Whatever it is. Like, why is this covered in Parmesan? No more. I don't even care anymore. I'm just going to eat it. Who cares? Like, this is the most salty piece of meat. Couldn't care less. I'm hungry. And they just, they just, what happens? Boom, 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 boom. But after some time, I go, I'm good. Can you bring back the filet guy, please? He's still cooking? I'll wait. Somebody else to walk up? What is that? No, I don't want it. No, I don't want it. No, I don't want it. Oh, I'll take a, a small piece of that, uh, not from that steak, but from that steak. And can you go two inches in for me? That'd be great. Thank you very much. Can't, that's what we're doing now in church. Is we went from a place of "I will eat whatever is fed to me" to who's preaching today? What's the topic? What songs are we going to sing? There's a 20% chance of rain. We'll stay home. Like, It's bizarre to me. Bartimaeus is is desperate. He does whatever. (laughs) Jesus says to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you will. And immediately he receives his sight and follows Jesus. Now, if you have a Bible that's you probably have a heading over verse 1 of chapter 11. Can anybody tell me what yours says? Triumphant, triumphal entry, triumphant entry, whatever entry, whatever you guys have. Um, here's the thing Jesus, I've had a problem now for a while with that title. I've had a problem with that title because it doesn't seem like he's very triumphant walking in. So you have what we would call a paradoxical moment in this this passage where Jesus is sitting on a donkey, when Jesus looks at his disciples and says, "Hey, we're going to ride in this into Jerusalem," they probably got hyped. Like, here we go. We're going to get some horses. We're going to come in like a boss. We're going to ride in. Everybody's going to know I'm Jesus's boys. We're going to do our thing. And Jesus looks at him and goes, "No, no, no. Get a donkey." And the problem with that is that a donkey is a peaceable, low, passive animal instead of a horse full of power. See, in the Romans, when they would ride in, they would come in with their big horses, and they would come in as conquerors, and they would walk through hard and high, and they'd be yelling, get out of the way, get out of the way, and everyone would stop. And when they would have a great conquering moment, they would have palm fronds, and they would wave them as a symbol of victory. You made it, you made it, you made it, you won, you did your thing. And Jesus is coming in on a donkey. A beast of burden. A beast that is not meant for anything else but to do this. And I don't know if you've ever worked with horses, but donkeys are stubborn now. They're not fun. They're ugly. It's a picture of a peaceable, humble king riding in. And this is the, the, the view that we have with Jesus. And this is where we stop a lot of times. Jesus, humble, riding in. People are saying, Hosanna. They're laying their, their clothes down. They're, they're repeating what was said in Psalms. Hosanna, Hosanna. And they're doing the thing, and, and they're just... tick 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 The donkey's coming, and everyone's just... Jesus is just sitting there, being all calm. Riding a donkey in. They take him all the way to the temple. And Jesus looks around and goes, It's getting late, let's go home. In verse 11, it says, And when Jesus walked into the temple, he had looked around at all things, and as the hour was already late, and then he went out back to Bethany with the twelve. I love this part because if it was a real triumphant entry, wouldn't there have been a party? Wouldn't there have been fanfare? Wouldn't there have been a lot of hoopla going on? Jesus just rides in, gets to the temple, and goes home. And this is only the the moment where the pastors then get really mean and talk about one moment you're the crowd that shouts Hosanna, and the next moment you're the crowd that shouts crucify him. We'll talk about that next week. But can I tell you, I want to pitch an idea to you, that there's two different crowds. It's not the same crowd. It's not the same people. Because Jesus rides in and goes straight to the temple. Didn't he just tell his disciples, we're going to walk into Jerusalem and be arrested? But there was no arrest. There was no criminal investigation. There was no nothing. And it says, and then they went back to Bethany. So then they turn around, walk back out, and go back to where they just came from. Sometimes in moments of life we have this buildup of anticipation towards something that never takes place. Jesus knew what was going to take place but it doesn't seem like in this exact moment we, we see when it was going to take place. Because it says the next morning he wakes up and he walks by the fig tree. And even though it's not season, this fig tree is seemingly blooming. He walks up to it to get figs because he's Verse 12, he was hungry. And there ain't no figs. So Jesus curses the tree. Where in there does it say that he ate? Because the very next thing he does is he walks straight to the temple in Jerusalem and goes into the temple and begins to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and turned the tables over and the money changers and all the seats who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry throughout the temple. And he was taught saying, is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of thieves. Two points here. Number one, don't mess Jesus when he's hungry. (laughs) He doesn't eat curses a fig tree and beats up a bunch of people. (laughs) Can I tell you, that kind of messes with my peaceable Jesus. Isn't that crazy? How we take the exact same 24-hour period and we stop. And we stop because we like the Jesus on the donkey being quiet, humble and meek, just knowing his place and being quiet. We don't like the Jesus who walks in and brings correction. We don't like the Jesus that comes in and says, this is the way it's supposed to be, but you're doing it the wrong way. And that's the weird thing about churches. I feel like we have these two dichotomies, that are, but, but we're missing the whole point. Has anybody ever been angry before? How about this? Has anybody ever lost their cool? A couple times? Would you also classify yourself as a raging lunatic? No. This is, this is where we are. We have these two Jesuses, the calm, I'm going to die, letting guys know this is going to take place, gets on a donkey, rides through, and then we have this Jesus over here that's flipping tables over. And this is the thing that's always blown my mind. No one stops him. Like, no one. He'd, like, I get you. This is where my, I add in a creative element that I said I wasn't going to do. He had to have been a big dude. Like, he was a carpenter. We get that. But the fact that all of these men who were selling and then losing their livelihood go, well, I'm not going to mess with him. <laughs> like, this is crazy. But this is a cool moment for me because... Jesus ends his ministry with this moment. This is the last thing he does before we, we see them plot against him. Can I tell you something cool? It was the first thing he did to start his ministry too. Many people don't realize he did this twice. The very first thing he did after the wedding at Cana is he walked in did the exact same thing. Because when he comes into your life, he causes a mess. And he's constantly, for all of this time, trying to set things right. Everything he's doing is setting things right. He is perpetually pushing and prodding and doing things to put things back the way they're supposed to be. Let's back up for some more context real quick. Jesus being born 30 years earlier would have had a, differently, a different world than he was today. Because when Jesus is born, he was born under a man named Herod the Great. Herod the Great was an evil man. Evil. Herod the Great had his wife and at least three of his kids killed. In fact, I'll put it this way. Caesar says this. Caesar, mean Caesar. I would much rather be a pig than a son of Herod. Like When one of the most brutal people in the world, look can go, <laughs> tough crowd. That's rough. He's born under Herod. Herod is infanticide. He kills all those two and under. He rules the entire region. And if Jesus is born 30 years before, before, earlier in his life, he wouldn't have this moment. He wouldn't have had this opportunity. He actually would have been an adult during the reign of Herod, and every second of every day, the lunatic Herod would have sought his life. Because Herod ruled with an iron fist. The problem is, is that Herod died. He had three sons that were still alive, that lucked out. He divides his kingdom, into his, his area, into, all, into three parts for his three sons. One son slept with the other son's wife. John the Baptist called him out. John the Baptist loses his head. The youngest of the three dies. The problem is is that when he dies, that there's an issue now of control. So now Rome has to make a call on who's going to rule this area. They put in governor after governor after governor after governor, and everyone fails. Because here's the kicker about these people. These Jews will not be controlled. If you mess with my religion and what we want to do with things, we will cause a revolt. And they do it time and time and time. And the Romans would come in and they would crush the revolt. They didn't care. They'll just start a new revolt. And over and over and over. So there's this new upstart that's beginning to gain traction in the political world named Pilate. So Pontius Pilate now has his opportunities to step in where Herod's son could no longer live when he died and everyone else failed. And the problem is that they gave Pontius Pilate this opportunity as a last resort. Prove yourself that you're better or die. Because you couldn't fail as a governor. If you failed, that meant you died. So here you are. Pontius Pilate, being a student of what's going on, understood the political issues in Judaism. Judaism. He understood what was taking place. And as he comes on the scene, he makes this whole idea of the great Sanhedrin can rule themselves as long as they pay tribute. We will give you guys this idea of having your own temple guards. You can have your own people here. You can have it your way as long as you give us what we ask. And it was a great working system. The Jews got the power that they wanted from the people. They had the religious control that they wanted from the people. And the Romans had peace because that area of land was important to control all the way down to Egypt. So their armies could march through and they could get money. So Pontius Pilate is put in this moment right now. He has lived his entire career now trying to keep peace with these crazy Jews. This guy named Jesus, man... went into the temple, and turned it upside down. What takes place from here on out sets the stage for why they wanted to kill him. Notice. And the scribes and the chief priests heard about it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him. Because all the people were astonished at his teaching. What teachings did he just teach? That what you're doing in the temple is wrong. I love this. Because it sets us up for two crowds. At crowd A. Loving how he teaches. Looking at him as a potential savior of the universe looking at Him as that one. And they cry out to Him, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the, king, the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They're constantly giving Him praise. And when you break down this verse that's coming out of Psalms, they're asking for two big things. They're asking for safety out of the book of Psalms, and they're asking for, for uh, prosperity. There are two things that they're seeking after with Jesus. Safety and prosperity. And I, and, I, and I would be amiss to tell you that what Jesus has done over the past 2,000 years is protect and prosper you. Serving Jesus is full of protection and it's full of prosperity. It doesn't always look the way you want it to look. I Notice he doesn't say he's going to give you comfort. But when you're watching somebody do what they're doing, it means so much. And Jesus is at this moment in his life where he's now caused an uproar with the Sanhedrin that's now going to look and say, we can't do this anymore. Otherwise, they'll stop paying what they're paying. They didn't kill Jesus because they saw him as a blasphemer. They didn't try to kill Jesus because he performed miracles. Honestly, they didn't really care about Jesus' teachings until this moment, because they had this whole idea, as long as Jesus stays out there and we can control this, we're OK. But when you stop messing with what I want, which is my control and my comfort, you got to go. And we're watching this unfold now. And 2,000 years later, I've watched every single person that I've ever known deal with the same thing, including yours truly. I want Jesus, as long as he doesn't mess with my comfort and my control. I want Jesus over there on a Sunday... I want Jesus to have the the, the the goosebumps on a worship service. I want Jesus to perform miracles. I want Jesus to save the lost. I want all of those things, but Jesus, don't mess with what I'm comfortable with and don't mess with what I can control. I want my own power and I want my own comfort. You can have everything else except for those two things. Jesus, don't mess with my relationships because I want that comfort and control. Jesus, you can have everything else, just don't mess with my health because I want that comfort and control. Jesus, I want you in every area of my life, but don't mess with my, my job because I want my comfort and control. I, you can mess with everything else, but don't mess with the politics that I'm concerning with. Like, we, we have these buts. We love Jesus as long as we can have control and as long as we can have comfort. And this is where the crowd splits. Because the problem is, if I can, the crowd on the outside is screaming, Hosanna. Because they have no comfort. They have no control. The in crowd, as you'll see next week, is the one saying, Give us Barabbas. Because we're losing control. And we're losing our comfort. And I would much rather take a homicidal maniac than somebody to mess with what I'm comfortable with. You don't think this happens today? We, we vote in politicians this way. I mean, I don't care if it's a Republican, Democrat, Independent, Tea Party, Blue Party, Orange Party. I don't really care. We vote for people not because... what we believe but because what makes me comfortable as long all right as long as you don't touch my social security you can murder as many babies as you want as long as i can keep my guns you can do whatever you want with everybody else as long as i can keep my thing i don't care what you do for everybody else no this is we do this politically we do this spiritually we have no ideas of this is right and wrong and we don't want jesus and everything either we just we want what we want we want we want burger king jesus i want it my way hold the pickles hold the onions but i want everything else you want onions have them over there i don't want them over here that can be your jesus and your jesus can look like that and your jesus can look like that but can i tell you jesus is both meek and mild and also vicious He's not called the Lion of Judah because he's a kitten. You read Revelation, he has fire in his eyes and a sword shoots out of his mouth. That's not a paperweight to open envelopes. He looks at creation and can hold it and know every hair on your head and have so much detailed intimacy with who you are. And at the same time, he's a mighty king and a warrior. Jesus isn't this or that. He is. He is both your lion and your lamb. He is both your alpha and your omega. He is both the sacrifice that washes all my sins and yet a very powerful ruler of the universe that demands my honor and respect. He is worthy of all my praise and honor and I fall before my face humbled before his power and might, yet I can still crawl into the lap and say, Abba, Father. Yeah, can I tell you, it's not one or the other. It is him. Yeah. I, I've learned this, particularly through this man here. Not Steve, my dad, sorry. Never called in Steve's lap. <laughs> my dad grew up, uh, when I was growing up, he was the authoritative principal. He would walk the halls and you could hear his shoes clacking, and fear would strike into every teenager. As if he was the warden swinging a, a baton. We had this mental picture that he would always walk the hallways with a paddle, just walking up and down, blowing. Up. Like, no, that's not what he did. It's not who he was. But as a kid, you get spanked once, you remember. Once a day, twice a day sometimes. But that's the thing is, is people saw him that way, as did I. I, I, I. I had the record for spankings for quite some time. I might still have it. I'm not quite sure. I do, yeah, um, of the school. But I also knew him as the dad that I could fall asleep on the couch with, too. We could watch football or we could wa- whatever, and we could hang out. I, I knew him as the guy who taught me how to ride a horse, Sure, he taught me the disciplineness of my life, but he also opened his arms. And that's the problem is that we either want one or the other Jesus. Can I tell you, in his discipline there is love and in his arms there is love. And once you can wrap your mind around that no matter what takes place, no matter how it feels, no matter what its paradigm it's shaking, it's all based out of love. You can understand and accept everything that's given to you. Well, Paul can look and go. If I live, I live. If I die, I die. Who cares? Who cares? I care. I don't want to die. I was like, eh, whatever. Why is he? How can I, did he just was flagrant with his life? No, because he knows no matter what takes place, Jesus is Jesus, and I'm going to be okay. I drop dead today, if my house burns down again, like whatever's going on, like Jesus is God and he is good in all things. And all things work out. It all works out. People ask, like, how do you not live with that kind of fear of everything? I see what's happening in the world. I'm no fool. I know with everything, every fiber of my being that this wonderful nation that I love is going back to war very shortly with a foreign nation again in a very short amount of time, we're going back to war. Is that scary? It's unfortunate. But can I tell you some hope? I'm a believer. I love Jesus. What happens to a believer when they die? They go to heaven. That was not a trick question. So my... If I was to die today, I get to be where there is no war, where there is peace, where there is the king of kings. There's no sickness, there's no disease, there's no back aches, there's no anything else. So you're telling me my worst case scenario is waking up tomorrow and everything stays exactly the way it is because death no longer is a a weapon against me. Once you can exclude fear... And that death, you'll realize the king of kings, that he is the lion and the lamb. He's with you all the time. We're going to wrap it up. God, I just thank you that you rode in. As you rode in, Father God, you're showing us both sides of who you are. That you are the lion, the lamb, our alpha, our omega. I just thank you that as we come in, that there is a victory when when you come back again that as we walk through what's taken place from the garden of gethsemane all the way through god that there is so much love and choice of love in our lives we worship your name and we give you all the praise and glory in jesus mighty name amen thank you for listening to our podcast have a great week